Greetings, Relief Valve listener, and Happy New Year. Back in the third interview on the podcast in September of 2020, which I know feels like it was a lifetime ago, I spoke with Edward Brandley. Edward is a writer, teacher, historian, and computer nerd. Um, He's the author of six books on the history of New Orleans, as well as several young adult fiction novels. Uh, He also teaches computer classes on high-end topics, such as converged computing environments, high availability, and enterprise storage management. So when Edward and I chatted last year, we had a fun conversation about our humble experiences in the pre- and early personal computing era. And we also spoke about the situation in the job market uh, right smack in the middle of the pandemic. But it didn't really fit into the amount of time available for the episode, so it landed on the cutting room floor. So I'm going to release it here for you all as a bonus while I'm working on finding more folks to chat with for 2021. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have a safe, happy new year and wear your damn masks. Um, well, I got to, you know, it's like the, the computer side of things. Um, my dad, uh, who he's, he's gone now, but yeah, when, 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 when he was alive, he was the, uh, he was the manager of the electronics shop at the university of new Orleans. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, 11 years old and he's hooking me up with the computer science profs and that kind of thing on an old deck system. Yeah. You know, their old deck system 10, you know, that yep. kind of thing. Yep. I, so, I go back to the PDP 11 days myself. There, so there I you know. go. You know, you know what? We had tons of PDP 11s at UNO because of the <laughs> oil and gas industry. And yeah. so when, when they were, when, when they would, you know, upgrade, get rid of, they would donate. It got to the point. And I didn't take this guy I was a history teacher. Right. But the, the CSI um, uh, program at UNO had a class that was make your own operating system. In other words, the, right. the the final was your product, right? That kind of thing. They yeah. threw you the PDP-11 assembly manual and said, <laughs> make an operating. Because there were enough. Like I said, they had like five PDP. You know, they had like an 1144 and two, 11, uh, two 1177s. Yeah, they had all of these. They had all of these mini computers that the oil and gas companies would donate them to the university as a write-off, right? And they yeah. would move on to yeah. the next biggest thing. Yeah. So, well, anyways, I go back to, well, that's where, well, that's where I learned. See, I didn't do, uh, I did Ristus. Uh, we, we grew up, we learned Ristus when I was in, in high school and everything, but um, I, I kind of missed in, in the eighties, I kind of missed the whole VMS thing because okay. we were always playing with the PDP 11s. And so we started messing with Berkeley Unix and okay. Yeah. So I stayed kind of that. And then radio shack. I don't know if, if you, if you know this, uh, but, I, I ran a trash 80 for a while also. So, okay. Uh, the, the TRS 80 model 16 was a yeah. five user Xenix system. <laughs> and so there you go. Radio shack at one time, this is like 80, three-ish or so had the largest installed user base of of unix in the world because i mean yeah yeah it was from a commercial perspective there was no way at that pc hardware was really hard to get and really expensive back then right because i I remember yeah well you know what you know why it's uh well the the operating system at the time was called xenix right 
Uh, no. Okay, it was licensed from AT and T by two guys that uh, er, that you might you might have heard of named Bill Gates and Paul Allen. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. licensed it, but AT and T came back and said, "Okay, you can. We'll give you a license to make Unix for these these little PCs, but you got to change the name in case it in case it bombs." Because if it yeah. blows up, we don't want it to be, uh, you know, we don't want it to be associated with real, with real Unix, right? So yeah, yep. yeah, Got to, you got to give Bill Gates credit. If, if I mean, aside from the fact that he's one of the richest men in the world and he built this massive <laughs> computer thing, right? Um, he, he somehow managed to convince IBM to let him continue to own the rights to an operating system that he developed for them under contract, right? Right. Because that's PC-DOS and MS-DOS, right? Came from that. And I don't know how the hell he managed that because IBM was probably one of the largest corporations in the world at the time. I have a a suspicion on this that I've always had. I think it's arrogance on IBM's part. I don't think they thought PCs were going to be that big a deal. Uh, you know, you're, you're, I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny because around the time when all of this was happening, of course, I was, I was a kid fresh out of high school, but I had started programming on my own. I taught myself and I was working on IBM mainframes a little bit, uh, system 36 doing key punch and that kind of stuff okay. for people, a little bit of COBOL programming. And those machines were disasters <coughs> in a lot of ways, right? Cause yeah. Um, IBM's method for making computers on the big scale was uh, disk systems were made in Armonk, New York, and processors were made in Minnesota somewhere. And, you know, something else was made in another part of the world. And then they pulled them all back together in upstate New York and they integrated them. So you'd have a mainframe that would all of a sudden in the middle of the day for no reason to decide it's shutting down its disk system for a reorg because it feels it's need, it needs to. And the rest of the system just kind of has to throw its hands up and go, uh, okay. And, and in the meantime, you're in the middle of trying to get work done, right? So IBM, some genius executive at IBM decided, you know what, we want to try to make a PC and compete in this marketplace. I guess they saw some success coming out of Apple at the time, right? Apple had right. the Apple II. Um, And they said, this could possibly be a new market for us. So they sent the entire crew of guys down to Boca Raton in Florida and said, come back with a a machine. Just build it all there and come back with a machine. And that's why the PC was so successful, because it was a single team of people who built it all in one place, integrated it all in one place, came up with the operating system for it, and it just worked. It didn't have the problems uh, that other computer, bigger computer systems had because of the way the computer companies operated at the time. So, uh, and then, you know, and then Bill Gates came along and created the operating system, which we all know was kind of <clears throat> stolen from other people. Um, <laughs> I'll probably cut that out before I put this up. <laughs> um, you said probably, yeah. it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then managed to convince IBM that it would be okay if he kept a copy of it for himself, right? And right. and it changed the world. It's amazing. It's amazing to see how. Yeah, all that I, yeah. I, I've never see. I and, and coming. I came from like I said. I came from this big digital shop at University of New Orleans. Um, yeah. When when the Vax when the Vax rolled out and what was that like eighty one or eighty two? I was already graduated, yeah. but you know because my old man, I just you know knew all these guys and everything, right? And um, they were a essentially a beta site for DEC 
They, you know, it's like they had, you know, they started with the, you know, uh, you know, uh, VAC, like an 11, VAX 1170, and then uh, kind of moved into just new models as they kept going. And uh, I have, a, I have a buddy, he and well, he ended up working for, uh, for EDS for, you know, Perot's people. And now he works yep. for GM. Uh, he had a choice, uh, an option of going to work for EDS or taking a year and being a um, a graduate assistant at UNO, working nothing on that deck cluster, and I said, "I'm like, dude, do it. You're gonna be yeah. the five hundred dollar an hour consultant, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you know, oh, Uncle Ross was dangling a decent salary proposal, and yeah, he took yeah took the yeah, safe no, road, but yeah, you know how that goes. It's like yeah, one one of one of the true tragedies for me of the computer industry was deck not being able to survive the transition from um, their big uh, proprietary machines off into you know the kind of open source and services model like IBM did, right? Because I mean, the only reason yeah. IBM is still around is because they had three billion dollars to burn at the time to survive that window of time when the market changed. Right. And deck just didn't have the big enough. No, they didn't have the cash. And the shame of it was that when deck acquired compact, that was the biggest match made in heaven because here, what happened immediately when, when that took place was they took, uh, cause of course they're at, uh, you know, this is post vax and you're into the alpha chip set at that point. They, they were, Compact turned around and made a MIDI tower. They called it, instead of an alpha server, they called it an alpha station. And they made a mini tower, single processor alpha box that would run VMS or or uh, then at that time, True64 Unix. And it yeah. was, oh man, it was like so competitive with the Sparks, the Sun, the Sun yep. stations and everything. But yep. well, what happened was, is that they got, the, the compact people got greedy with the HP thing. If they would have left that yeah. be, I think compact would have been, it would have been a player, you know, it's like, yeah. it, you know, it really could have been. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that was one of the, uh, that was a Carly Fiorina. Yeah. Meg Whitman thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it was not pretty. Yeah. It's like, no, I mean, it was, well, uh, now on a personal note, it was, it wasn't bad for me. Because, you know, it's like who thrives in, in, in a time of chaos and mergers and everything? The consultants. Yeah, you know, consultants. So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's the early part of my career was exactly like that. I, I did the same thing. I spent uh, I, I did a lot of consulting, um, started out as a programmer and then eventually worked my way into systems and Linux, survived the uh, the Berkeley AT&T war. And I think <laughs> yeah, the wrong yeah. tide won, but that's another story. Um and, and, you know, and then finally didn't, I didn't really settle down into serious career until I hit entertainment, gotcha. um, though I spent four years as a consultant, but I spent four years in aerospace, which okay. was an, which was interesting as well. Cause, um, as a consultant working for an aerospace company, it was great. You know, I had, I had all of the work to do in the environment that was challenging and I didn't have to put up with the military industrial complex. Yes. Um, Uh And then at the end, you know, talking about EDS, EDS came in to outsource the, um, the computing environment. I was working for Hughes space and communications. Okay. Yeah. Uh Um, And then um, they were trying to get ready to start cutting the company up and selling it off in pieces, which eventually they did. They sold 
the military systems to uh, Raytheon, and then eventually the uh, commercial stuff went to Boeing. Um, uh, and so at the time, part of how you do that when you're um, when you're the CIO or the you know not really the CEO, excuse me, of the company is you try to turn your your technology into a fixed liability, right? Oh, um, right. Yeah. Which which you can't really do because it doesn't work that way. It's you know. Um, but you bring in an outsourcer who comes back and says, sure, we'll charge you $25 million a year and take care of all of your IT. And then it looks really good on the books because now all of a sudden your IT goes from this fluctuating cost to this fixed thing, right? The problem with that is it's like, oh, wait, you wanted a steering wheel in the car? <laughs> well, that's going to cost you an extra 50 bucks. No, no, no. The, the, the hubcaps for the tires, that's extra. That's not part of the deal, right? And before you know it, you've gone way over your budget anyway, but it looks pretty on the books. And so Hughes went through that same thing. And the consulting company that I was working for at the time basically got bounced out so that EDS could come in and take it over. And EDS tried to hire me, but I wasn't buying the line that they were selling me at the time. And so Hughes came back and said, no, 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 we'll hire you as a senior systems engineer. I was like, okay, I get to keep doing the same kind of stuff I'm doing. Plus I'll be involved in the complexity of separating the different businesses, right? Right. It's a big deal when you've got all of these integrated networks and servers and things like that to split them up and, and break them apart. Um, and almost immediately after becoming an employee of Hughes directly, the, the, the rules of, of being a government contractor just sl- starts banging across your head, <laughs> right? I mean, crazy stuff. Like, um, you know, I, I'd find a, a, a tape drive because I, I was a head of a group of systems administrators over there. And I find a tape drive that's sitting in a cabinet and I grab it and I put it on my desk because I needed something to do extra backups on. And somebody comes over to me and goes, wait, that's got a gray sticker on it. I'm like, yeah. So, so where'd you get that from? It was in a closet downstairs. Says, you can't use that. I said, why not? He says, well, if it's got a gray sticker, that means it was bought for a government project. I'm like, oh, okay. yeah. Uh-huh. I said, okay. Yeah. Now well, you're singing my song as an educator. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, but you know, any pro- anything bought for a government project can only be used for that government project. Like government and project, after right. that, we can either sell it for its retail value or we can destroy it. <laughs> like you're yeah, kidding me, right? That's, I, yep. <laughs> and, and so, and so, you know, being the rebel I was at the time, I scraped the sticker off of it and continued to use it. But um, that kind of way of trying to do business, that and having to log every single second of your life, oh yeah, uh, to charge the projects was just got to be too much for me. And I, Disney yeah. came knocking. So, I, I, you talk about the the um, got it. You, you you triggered a memory for me. Was uh, I can't remember what which it was a, a, a compact customer. I can't remember who, but I had gone to do some on-site training. And so this is late nineties, right? And there is yeah. this stack of about like 10, five, five or eight Apple two, like two plus two E's stacked yeah. up. Just, you know, that, that, that look, right. You know, you just yeah. knew that's an Apple two, right. And yeah. it's like, like four, stacks of apple twos that were on the loading dock that were to be disposed of because they were bought for a project and i'm just like 
You know, I, I would just grab three of these, throw them in a box and FedEx them home or something. If I yeah. could, you know, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, even in, even in commercial, right. In corporations, the different places yeah. I've worked, the business runs on a, on a, a, a cycle where it actually, after a period of time becomes more expensive to keep the asset based on the taxes Yes. That you have to pay for it than it does to buy new stuff and just throw the old stuff out. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's crazy. Right. So like at the studios, for example, <clears throat> where we had thousands of Unix workstations, not to mention the the big render farms. Right. Um, we replaced a third of all of our computers every year. Whether they were good or bad didn't matter. We just had to pull them out of circulation because at the end of the three-year depreciation cycle. You know, they yeah. they were they, more of a liability. They flip it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah we'd either, that, that keeps me in business with the training. Believe yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. We'd, we'd either donate them somewhere or every once in a while we'd get permission to sell them off um, to different employees or we'd trade them in. But yeah, it was it was always crazy the amount of um, uh, hardware that passes back and forth. That's really good because think about it like right now. We found this uh, 2010 MacBook <laughs> sitting in the bottom of a box in the house, and I just resurrected it. It's still capable of running, you know, one of the most recent operating systems. Uh, well, there and you go. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, back in the back, you know, in the studios, forget about it. The, that stuff was gone right away. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. It's... So let's switch it up a little for a second and talk about the state of the job market and technology and all of the craziness that goes on there. Nowadays, because technology has become so ubiquitous uh, and we require every kid to go to college and get at least a right. bachelor's degree, um, it's really easy to grab somebody out of school and throw them into the job at a relatively you know, relatively lower salary mm -hmm. and eliminate the need for the, the, the people who have the most right. experience. We don't value experience in this country as much as we should. And that may be why we have a tendency of stepping on ourselves every so often. That's very um, true. Um, except, well, I, I will, I will throw in one exception to that. And that's in the storage stuff where I work is the paranoia of data loss is so strong oh, that yeah. you don't, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like you get guys cause you know, it, it, it was, there's one thing I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I got, I got a question back for you on that too, is that, you know, the, the paranoia of data loss is such that a lot of these guys are, uh, you know, it's like you've got guys that are into their sixties that are still working because the enterprise doesn't trust the young guy, but the, and which which brings me to a question. You're talking about how it's like you know you you say in 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 the tech circles you run that uh, that there's that still that demand, if you will, for a college degree, and is that still yeah. prevalent in your experience? Uh, so um, I I so when I'm hiring somebody. Um, a college degree, the only thing a college degree actually tells me is that they're able to complete something, right? Because right? most most university curriculums don't reflect what's really going on in right. technology because it changes too quickly for them to be able to adapt to it. Um, what I'm finding is in, in the process of searching for a job, uh, what's happened is, so I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit of a long, yeah, long cool. way here. So, um 
back in the day when you were looking for a job, you went to the local newspaper, you looked in the classified ads, you found a bunch of things that were interesting right. and you applied for them. You get a call back, you get vetted by a headhunter who then sends you on to the client, you interview there, they like you, they hire you, right? Um, when the when the internet killed classified ads, um, all of a sudden a job market that would say be just New Orleans or just Los Angeles became right. worldwide, right? All of a sudden... I can like I use LinkedIn right now as one of my sources for looking for jobs and I use Indeed as my other one and I see jobs in New Orleans all right. the time. I can apply to them anytime I want. Odds are they'll never make it through the system because I'm right. not local, Get right? Filtered. And if the yeah. company's not going to pay to relocate. Right. Um and so because a lot of people don't understand what they're looking for when they're looking for a technology candidate um and and this is this is from real experience for me. When I worked at Disney several years back, I actually took the time to take our recruiter and teach her what we did in the in the systems right. side of the house every day. Because the truth was, I was getting a, a crap ton of candidates that came through that weren't very yeah. good. Uh, and that was because the recruiter didn't know what to look for and what to ask, right? Right, so your filter was and off, so, yeah. Right. So I taught them what a systems administrator was, and I taught them what the questions you needed to ask sure. to find out if they were semi-competent and then send it on. And it was it was really successful, right? For me, it was anyway. Um, but But the majority of people out there, they have no clue, right? They'll ask for, I want a guy who has... 15 years experience using this application, which has actually been only in existence for right. five years, right? Um, there's all these kinds of wacky requirements on the job racks. And almost every single one of them, without question, says they want at least a bachelor's degree, if not a master's degree. Imagine, if you will, I want to hire a senior systems administrator with six years experience and a master's degree in, in computer science. Like that's going to yeah, exist. That's not, well, and right? that's where I was going with the question, because one of the things in on the storage side of things that, that, that I tend to see and we see is the people that I, I'm teaching, uh, they're they are not, they're not even college graduates with a bachelor's degree. We've got, it's, you know what it is? It's, it's the ex-military guys, right? It's the, 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 uh, well, the ET, the, yeah. you know, the ET4, the ET5, you know, basically, you know, petty officer, second class from the Navy, who's been spent the last five, six years doing electronics. And then of course, that's the perfect field service guy for a storage company, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. So that's the guys I see, there's, you know, there's, there's also a lot of, there's a lot of businesses, especially the bigger ones that take advantage of two government programs that give them tax credits. One of them is hiring people who've been out of work for an extended period okay. of time. And the other is hiring veterans. So I think you're seeing some of that. I can, I can tell you that, um, as somebody who didn't complete his associate's degree, but went to college in 1982 for uh -huh. a year, um, studying uh, information systems and, and doing a lot of his work on punch yep. cards, um, I've, I've actually had recruiters or recruiting systems not even be willing to look at right. my resume because I don't have a bad yeah, degree. That's just crazy. And so- yeah. Yeah, to say that 35 years of progressive experience from 
coding to systems administration to managing teams to multi-million dollar budget management and all of that stuff and say that yeah but you don't have a bachelor's degree is kind of one of those things that you know i i don't have an answer yeah. for that and it's out there it's oh, out i there. believe it yeah so like i said in 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 our in 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 my piece you know my patch of the woods um well there's two things one is that all of the government contracts that involve storage data centers and big, you know, big, big uh, storage farms. Yeah, big data. Yeah, that kind of high stuff. performance computing. Um, you know, especially if it's any, uh, you know, well, it, if it's classified, like, you know, you get into the, the NSA and, and yeah. you know, all the Intel people and everything. Uh, if, 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 you, yeah. if you're a guy or a woman who was an electronics technician with a top secret clearance, on a carrier or a submarine, you're going to be able to roll that into a job in no time yeah. flat, but you don't you know, the degree there's, there's, isn't a problem. Yeah. 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 There's a lot, there's a lot of that. That's so again, there's a lot of that kind of stuff out here because uh, the LA area is a big uh, defense. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. aerospace uh -huh. and defense. And, um, and certainly I, I keep an eye out on that kind of stuff as well, but it's, I have the same problem, right? It's like, I've got all the qualifications for the job, but I don't have the top secret right. clearance. And, and so they're like half the time they won't even talk to you because I guess the process of getting that clearance is complicated enough that they don't want to go through the hassle of it if they can right. avoid it. It's, well, it's the idea. Um, it's like getting right. I mean, and that's what I wonder. Like I, I think about New Orleans and, you know, we, we went through our tax credit, entertainment tax credit phase, right? Which uh, it yeah. didn't, you know, the, the, the economics of it did not pan out anywhere near what people expected. The legislature dropped the program, and as soon as they did, something like 80% of the production companies bailed to Georgia because Georgia, it's a MacGyver yeah. shot in Georgia, you know, that kind of thing. And Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Right, exactly. So, but, you know, one of, you know there's been a, a few things. It's like, you know, uh, it, it's there's a good infrastructure, you know, in terms of there's a good production infrastructure here in, in New Orleans. And then also believe it or not, unbelievable kind of it's freak kind of weird, but up in the Northwest corner in Shreveport as well. What was it? Um, uh, AMC, the Salem show um, was shot up there. Okay. Right. Cause you could just build, okay. you got to build a 1600s town anyway. You just do it where it's cheap. Right. So, but, but anyway, with New Orleans in particular, I'm starting to think that, you know, it's like I, I, the shows, like I could see like, uh, you know, uh, NCIS New Orleans having the cast go back to California, and basically we end up with, uh, uh, you know, we end up with got you know basically just cameramen and, and production people, you know, shooting yeah. B roll or shooting you know around the scenes stuff, yeah. chase scenes where you got body doubles and stuff like that, you know. So, yeah, yeah, 